guys, and welcome to our very first bonus episode of Cults and Crime. Cults and Crime Patreon. We are so excited to start our Patreon. We wanted to do this forever, but we were kind of hesitant because we were just starting out. Yeah, and we were worried that nobody liked us. And we wouldn't be able to get as much content out, or if we did, it wouldn't be as good. So, we have been researching and researching, and we have, and we're ready to start our Patreon. And we're starting it off with a murder. Or shall I say murders? Bum, bum, bum. As you guys probably guessed, our Patreon is probably going to have a little bit of a looser feel. And maybe we're going to cover some stuff that's a little bit more recent than we usually cover. And our content is not just going to include cases like murders and cults. We're also going to have really fun things like game shows and Q&A with our fans. So without any further ado, Nicole, are you ready? I am ready. So we're going to be talking about the Ashland murders. On the night of December 23rd, 1881, Robert and Fanny Gibbons, along with her best friend and next-door neighbor, Emma Carico, settled into the Gibbons' home for the night, located in Ashland, Kentucky. The Gibbons' father was at work in a neighboring town, and their mother had gone to visit the older sister because she was unable to make it home for the holidays. Which just left 17-year-old Robert in charge of the home. So Robert was the amputee. He'd actually lost his leg in a horrible accident. He had fallen in front of an unoccupied vehicle that was put, later pushed on top of him, crushing his leg. So Robert, along with his two other siblings, had settled in for the evening, no doubt super excited for Christmas Eve. But they wouldn't make it to Christmas Eve. During the night, Three assailants had opened one window with a crowbar and immediately waking up Robert. All Robert was able to do was let out a cry for help before he was hit over the head with a crowbar, crushing his skull and instantly killing him. That cry for help had woke up both his sisters and they had frantically attempted to escape. That's when they were assaulted and raped before Fanny was struck in the head with a crowbar and Emma was hit in the head with an axe that was sitting by the fireplace. The assailants then soaked both girls' bodies in oil along with their bedding and lit everything on fire. Emma's mother, who was visiting the neighbor, had looked outside and saw the flames. And that's where she set out the alarm, just in time for the firefighters to come and extinguish the flame and recover the bodies. This was a huge deal for the town. They had the occasional bar fights, but never murder. The police had begun their investigation at the scene. That's where they uncovered both the axe and the crossbar. They were both covered with blood and human hair. They also interviewed everyone they could until they came upon a man by the name of George Ellis. He seemed really nervous during the interview. Well, that's kind of normal. I'd be nervous if the police were interviewing me. Yeah, I guess I could see that too. Within 10 days of him being interviewed, he confessed and he named accomplices. Their names were William Neal and Ellis Kraft. And he recounted everything to the police. George explained that they had been talking about this for months. William Neal was in, was obsessed with Emma. And he had made several claims at the bar that before Christmas, he would have her. 
That's when they met the man, Ellis Craft. He had claimed that he was going to go see Fanny and give her some black candy. And then he had planned to have sex with her. That night of December 23rd, they had headed to the house where they had opened the window with the crowbar. Neil said he stayed behind at first on the porch before eventually going inside. This is where they had snuck inside and began sexually assaulted both the girls. Robert had come into the room and that was when the men struck him over the head with the axe. Kraft had told both girls to lie still, but they both ran for their lives where Neil had caught Emma as she tried to jump out of the bed by the neck, strangling her and pulling her to the floor. Oh my god. I I really can't. This is this is so gruesome. It's horrendous. And when he had strangled her to death, it enraged him that he had killed her. Well, what did you think was gonna happen, stupid? He was mad that she had tried to run away, and he was mad that he had to kill her. So that's when he started repeatedly striking her in the head with a crossbar. Oh my goodness. Fanny was able to get a little farther than her sister Emma, but that's where Kraft killed her. Eventually, George had made other claims that. Um, do you have a specific location where he killed her? Because it, like, oh, yeah. she'd gone as far as the living room, where the axe was laying next to the fireplace, where she was, and that's where he struck her. Eventually, oh, poor thing, she almost made it out. I know. It, I could not imagine having to run for your life knowing full well that your sister is being left behind. Well, and most likely, like, she saw that happen. She saw her sister get attacked. She knew exactly what was going to happen to her. Exactly, and that run for her life. Ugh. Eventually, George had made other claims that the, that his previous confession was a lie and that he was forced to make the confession by gunpoint by the police. Like, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but I'm calling bullshit. Well, yeah, um, this was in 1881, so I'm sure it was a lot more prevalent than it would be now. Oh, definitely. But it wasn't long before he had made another claim that he retracted the statement and reaffirmed his guilt. Well, maybe he was threatened again. That makes sense. Yeah, who knows? Um, George was found guilty and due to his cooperation with the investigation, he was only sentenced to life imprisonment. However, the people of Ashland didn't think that was enough. The town people of Ashland didn't think that was fair. At one point, they broke into the jail cell, and they hung him. And just, oh, okay. And just before he had dropped, he had admitted his guilt one more time. See, that doesn't make me feel good about him admitting guilt. You know what I mean? I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, you're getting hung up by a mob for murder. That would probably be your time to try to talk people into your innocence. But maybe they're saying, you know, you just admit what you did. We won't do anything. Just admit what you did. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a possibility as well that I didn't think of. But it didn't just stop with George. The townspeople's rampage of violence didn't end. For William Neal and Elias Kraft, the police had chose to move them to the nearby town of Cattlesburg. There, they were tried several times. Each time, they were found guilty in a court of law. 
during one of the trials, it even got so bad that the governor of Kentucky, Governor Blackburn, sent out a large group of state troopers to try and keep the peace and prevent the mob of people outside that were out for blood. This mob had grown so large and so basically powerful that at one point they'd seized a ferry boat and intercepted a steamboat carrying the state troopers attempting to move William and Elias. This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. This is like Wild West type shit, Jamie. (laughs) This is exactly Wild West type shit. Well, they opened fire on the state troopers themselves, and when the state troopers fired back, several of the bystanders were killed or wounded. Which, to me, seems only fair. Eventually, both William and Elias were tried and found guilty. Their sentence was hanging, just like George. But, coincidentally, unlike George, both William and Elias had maintained their innocence throughout the entire ordeal. See, this also makes me think that maybe he was just saying whatever he thought they wanted to hear to get off. Well, William and Elias' working theories were that George was working with a man also named George, but his last name was George Haplin. They wanted to collect the money that was offered for finding the person that was responsible. Did they end up collecting the money? Well, no, because George was hung by... Remember, George was hung in the prison? Yeah, but he was still of, like... So usually... Okay, so I know how crime stalkers work. Is like, if you get to the police and then... Either they think it's credible or the person is convicted off them and the information they give, then you get the money. So I'm assuming, oh, I guess they never had to, they never got through court, so I, I don't know. See, I'm just thinking like Old West back in the day, you know, you'd show up and be like, I have this man for this reward, and you just hand the man over and get the money. Yeah, but George handed over himself along with two other people. I don't know how that would work for him collecting the money. It Can almost. Can you? Yeah, can you? Can you collect a reward on yourself asking for a friend? Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, you go to jail for two years, but then you get 20k. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, worth it. Yeah, honest, well, shit, some free food. About to commit a crime. Time Don't to go do some do crimes. Make 20k. <laughs> like, whatever with the rest of my life. That in two years, though. That two years, though. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, I kind of feel like this is a credible story. I do think they all did it. But there's not a ton of information on this case. It was just something that really striked my interest because of this, like, vigilante justice. Like, that's a really interesting thing that happened. You know, you don't really hear about a lot of stories that far back. And it's probably because of stuff like, well, we never know what happened because the town got together. Yeah, well... The town got together, started a giant mob, a mob so large they were able to seize a ferry boat. I don't know. I don't think it'd be that many people to seize a ferry boat. Like, think about it. Like, well, I'm thinking about, like, nowadays, like, you know, like the ferry we usually go on to go to the city. Like, you're sitting on that ferry boat, there's the conductor and maybe, like, 20 passengers. Yeah, so you'd have to, well, I guess with guns, maybe a little bit less. I can't even say I'm 100% certain. Maybe, like, two, three guys tops. Yeah, potentially. I guess, like, they had sheriff's people, so the sheriff's people had guns, too, so it's not like you're fighting unarmed civilians. 
I feel like we're just giving people advice on how to take over a ferry boat right now. Um, yeah, it, it does seem quite very like a how-to guide. <laughs> Cults and crime is not responsible for any of the words you say or the <laughs> actions you do about those words. We take no liability. Also, yeah. most of our plans are poorly thought out, so like, don't follow our advice. Yeah, like, what are you going to get from getting a ferry anyways? There's not money on the ferry. You're just doing it for no reason. Guys, thank you so much for being on our Patreon page. We really do appreciate you, and you guys are the people that make the dream come true. Yeah, really, though. (laughs) That's our case for today. We'll catch you guys next month for an all-new, exclusive Patreon-only episode. Alright guys, so we'll talk to you next month for an exclusive bonus episode. Bye everyone. Thank you for coming. For being part of this fucking bullshit. Thanks for being part of this shit show.